in today's Christianity, they say that they believe this verse. But when it comes to actual doctrine that this book teaches, they're not sure if that's what Paul meant. They're not sure if that's what Jesus meant. And they're just not sure that that's what the Bible teaches. And I find this alarming, okay? So we're going to read First Timothy, or Second Timothy, excuse me, Second Timothy, chapter three, verses sixteen and seventeen. Second Timothy, chapter three, verse sixteen and seventeen. It says, all scripture, somebody high five your neighbor and tell them all scripture. Yeah, we got some interaction going on here, amen. All scripture, so how much is that? Every last bit of it, that's right. All scripture is inspired of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Now, as we read this, I want to lay down what this verse says in the Greek. This term, inspired of God, okay? Or in the ESV, I believe uh, it says, by inspiration, right? What does the ESV say there in verse 16? Breathed out by God. Why do they use that word breathed out by God? <laughs> well, that generally that's the idea. That's the understanding is that every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God is what we're to live by, right? Jesus said, man shall not live on bread alone, but by Every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And he's quoting Deuteronomy. This is, this is what he's quoting. He's quoting scripture. All scripture. We don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now what this scripture is telling us is that all scripture is given by God's inspiration. It is breathed out by God. The Greek word here. When it says uh, breathed out by God in the ESV or inspired of God in the King James, it's theonustos. Or how, how did I say it wrong? Theonustos. And that means breathed out, literally breathed out by God. That is why the ESV uses the term that they use. Now, inspiration here in the King James had a different, a little bit different interpretation back in the 1611, okay? So that word had a much more spiritual understanding to it than we take from it today, okay? We think of inspiration, we think of like, oh, I got inspired to write this song, or I got inspired to do this, and that's not the kind of inspiration it's talking about. It's talking about a spiritual inspiration that without which... You would have never had the words that you would have had written down. In other words, 
God superimposed his inspiration upon the hearts of men that he moved them along to write his word. And we know that from the book of Peter, right? We're going to get there. But there's a movement today to divide Jesus' words from Paul's words. Or to divide Paul's words from Peter's words. Or Paul's words from James's words. Or John's words from Paul's words. But this is a serious, serious error. They are mistaking in thinking that some of these things, uh, uh, some parts of Scripture are more valuable or more uh, authoritative than other parts of Scripture. You see, now we're hinging upon what we call the doctrine of the inspiration of Scripture, the doctrine of inerrancy, the doctrine of what we believe the Bible is. Amen? So the doctrine of inerrancy says that this is absolutely every bit of this book from Genesis to Revelation is all God-breathed. Every bit of it is without, it's out, it's without mistake, it's without error, it is without question God's word. And we should follow it wholeheartedly. That's what it is. Now... There are several things that are coming to coming against this, okay? And I want to talk about a few things. Uh, people who think that some of these parts are more authoritative or more valuable than other parts are walking in gross error. This is wrong, a dreadful error to even think that we could read God's word in this way. Why? Because of this verse. If we believe that God's word is truly God-breathed, every single letter, every jot, every tittle, understanding that it's God's word, God's revelation of himself to mankind, then we cannot take part of it and go, well, I don't know if that's... I know what it says, but... Now, I'm not going to give any names out. I'm not going to talk about who said this. But I heard today, and it was, I, I almost chuckled when I heard it, but it was talking about uh, the authority of men as elders in the church. And in saying this, they said, well, I don't think Paul ever said that and if he did I think it was just Paul's opinion I think he was just giving his opinion that women shouldn't be pastors and and I think that uh, we need to really have a conversation about that because it was just Paul's opinion now do you guys know where they get that idea of it being Paul's opinion anybody no one verse taken completely out of context that they apply to everything else Paul says that they don't like turn with me if you will to 1st Corinthians chapter 7 okay 1st Corinthians chapter 7 in this chapter and uh, we're gonna read verse 25 now I may go a little uh, 
go back a little bit to get some, uh, uh, oh my goodness, clarity, some co uh, context. Um, so let's, let's start at verse 16, okay? Just, just humor me for a minute, okay? For what knowest thou, O wife, whether thou shalt save thy husband, or how knowest thou, O man, whether thou shalt save thy wife? Now, you guys know what we're talking about here, right? We're talking about the relationship between unbelieving spouse and a believing spouse. Can I get an amen? That's the context, okay? So let's keep reading. But as God hath distributed to every man, as the Lord hath called everyone, so let him walk. And so ordain I in all the churches. Notice what he just said there. And so I ordain in all the churches. I want you to underline that and keep that in your mind. Okay? Because Paul talks like this all throughout his epistles. This is what I'm ordaining in the church. This is what God has given me to ordain in the church. Okay? Why? Because as an apostle, Paul is speaking as someone with authority. Not just his own authority, but authority from Christ for the founding of the church. Amen? Now let's keep reading. Uh, do, 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 do. Is any man called being circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Is any man called in circumcision? Let him not, let him not be uncircumcised. Don't let him be circumcised. 19. Circumcision is nothing. Uncircumcision is nothing. But the keeping of the commandments of God. You see that? Now let's keep going. Verse 20. Let every man abide in the same calling wherein he was called. Art thou called being a servant? Care, uh, care not for it. But if thou mayest be made free, use it rather. For he that is called is the Lord... Uh, for he that is called in the Lord, being a servant, is the Lord's free man. Likewise, also he that is called being free is Christ's servant. Amen. Ye are bought with a price. Be not ye servants of men. Brethren, let, not, uh, let every man wherein he is called therein abide with God. Right? Now we're going to keep going. Now here it is. This is the verse. We're getting to the verse that Paul is talking about. And this one verse is the only time in all of Paul's epistles where he says, this is my opinion. This is my, my opinion. This isn't from God. This is my opinion. This is the only time in all of Paul's epistles that he says this. Once. And then they take this verse that we're about to read and because Paul says this here, when we start talking about church authority, they say, well, I don't think Paul was mean. I think that was probably his opinion. Except we got a problem when you read 1 Corinthians 14. I'll show you the problem with this thinking, okay? Look at this right here. He says, verse 25. Now concerning virgins, I have no commandment of the Lord. Yet I give my judgment, amen, as one who hath obtained mercy of the Lord to be faithful. I suppose, therefore, that it is good for a, uh, 
for the present distress, I say that it is good for a man so to be. Art thou bound unto a wife? Seek not to be loosed. Art thou loosed from a wife? Seek not a wife. But if thou marry, thou hast not sinned, and if the virgin marry, she hath not sinned. Nevertheless, such shall live, uh, such shall have trouble in the flesh, but I spare you. Now, none of this is talking about pastoral roles. None of this is talking about the order of the church. This is talking about the fact that some virgins can remain virgins and they don't have to marry. But if they do marry, they don't sin. And this is his judgment, right? This is his own judgment. Has nothing to do with church authority. It doesn't have anything to do with church. And the only thing that he said was his opinion is this thing concerning these virgins. Period. Yes, in, in certain instances, they're going to take this verse where this is the only time he says this, by the way, where he says, this is my opinion. This is my judgment, right? This isn't a commandment of God. This is my judgment. And then they take this and then they find places where Paul talks about the, the order of the home and the order of the church. And they'll apply this verse to those verses, even though they have no context to do so, right? Now, I want to take you, and, and I'm only doing this for this specific topic, and then we'll talk about others. But this specific topic has a remedy and even has a solution that's really easy to find. So I want you to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Now, we're talking about spiritual gifts, right? This is the chapter where we're talking about the gifts of tongues, the gifts of prophecy, correct? A am I right? That's what the conversation is. But Paul is not writing to them his opinion. He's writing as an apostle with apostolic authority from Christ to set up the order of the church. Can I get an amen on that? Well, how do we know that's what Paul did? I want you to turn with me, uh, or just, you don't have to turn there. I'm going to go and read Titus from this morning. You stay right there in 1 Corinthians 14, okay? I want you to note what he said in Titus. For this cause I left thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city, as I appointed thee to do. So Paul has the authority to set up the church, to set up the order of the church and how things are functioning in the church. Can I get an amen on that? Now, if whether you like it or not, Paul is writing the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 because their order of service had become disorderly. The whole reason that 1 Corinthians 14 is written is because the Corinthian church was out of order. Everybody was prophesying all at once. 
Everybody was speaking in tongues out of turn. The women were up in arms and judging what was being preached and what was being prophesied. That's why you have Paul telling them, look, if you speak in tongues, it's by one or two, maybe three at a time, and then you have to do that one at a time, and then there must be an interpretation. And then he says, if you're going to prophesy, it must be one at a time, no more than two or three, and let everyone there judge what's said. That's the context of 1 Corinthians 14. That's what's being done. Paul is setting order to their disorderly service. And he even ends this chapter with these words. Uh, if I get back there, I'll tell you. If you look at the very last verse, he says, Let all things be done decently and in order. Can you see that? All right, now I want to take you back uh, to, let's start at verse 33, okay? And he's just getting done talking about, in verse 32, the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets, for God is not the author of confusion, but, the, uh, but of peace, and in all, as in all the churches of the saints. Can you see that? Now watch what he says after he sets in order, speaking in tongues, and he sets in order prophecy. He says this, and let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husband at home. For it is a shame for women to speak in the church. What? Came the word of God out from you? Or came it only unto you? If any man think himself to be a prophet or to be spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandment of the Lord. Stop. Now, there's three things that I want to deal with here. Number one, is he saying that women can't talk at all in church? No, he, he can't be saying that because just before this, he was talking about women praying and prophesying, but they had to do it with their head covered. Or in other, with, in other words, with being a, under the authority of their husband or the pastor or the elder of the church. So they could pray and prophesy, but they had to do it underneath the authority of the church. Amen? So we know that's not what Paul's saying. Paul isn't saying they can't speak at all. So what's he saying? It has to do with prophesying, the prophecies that were coming out. And if you look at your ESV Bible note on, uh, on verse 37, it's going to tell you something to the effect, uh, or excuse me, not that verse. It would be uh, verse 34. It would tell you something to the effect that... Uh, women, if, if they were to judge the prophecies that were being spoken, then they would be usurping the male headship in the church, which we know is not right because 1 Corinthians 9 says that the head of every man is Christ and the head of every woman is the man. 
right? This is the order that God set, right? So number one, he's not saying that women can't speak at all. What he's saying is just the same thing he says in Timothy, that they cannot usurp authority, amen? They can't set themselves up over the men of the church. That's what he's saying. He even tells them if they want to learn something or they got some kind of uh, a question that may cause confusion, it may cause division, let them go ask their husband at home. That's what it says. Now, the third thing, or the second thing that I want you to note is he makes a question here. He says, what came the word of God out from you or came it to you only? Now, who's he talking to? Here in this verse, in verse 36, he's speaking to the whole church of Corinth. What he's saying is, did the word of God originate with you here in Corinth? Paul's asking this sarcastically because he knows that he brought God's word to Corinth. He knows that he's the one that brought it there. And now the Corinthians are thinking, oh, we got the word of the Lord, so we can do what we want with it. But that's not true, and that's not how we see it. And Paul even says, as in all the churches, verse 33, can you see that? And then the third thing that I want you to know, Paul just gets through talking about order of prophecy, ordering, speaking in tongues, and setting uh, uh, the order for the women in the Corinthian church. And then he says, if any man thinks he is a prophet or he's spiritual, let him acknowledge that the words that I'm speaking are the commandments of God. Not my opinion, not just my judgment, but the commandment of God. Why? Because he's an apostle. And Paul absolutely emphatically knows that he's been called by Christ to set up and set in order these churches. Not by his own authority, by Christ's. He didn't receive this word by himself, right? Go to Galatians chapter 1. Where did Paul get his ministry, his gospel? Galatians chapter 1, verse 11. But I certify, uh, uh, but I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after men, or man, excuse me. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of of Jesus Christ. Amen? Paul received his calling and the gospel he preached directly from Christ. This chapter 1, verse 11 and 12. Galatians 1, 11 and 12. So Paul's words are not just his words. As an apostle, even when he renders a judgment, we would be fools to ignore it. It would behoove us as Christians who understand Paul and who he is and why he's saying this, that he's saying it for our benefit and for our good. Now, can we agree that First Corinthians, or <coughs> excuse me, Second Timothy chapter two or three, verse sixteen says. That all scripture is God-breathed. 
and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Isn't that what Second uh, Timothy 3.16 says? So I have to understand then everything that's written in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 25, even where Paul says, this is not a commandment of the Lord, but my judgment. Even that scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, and correcting, and training in righteousness. Even that verse. Amen? So what do we say? What are we trying to say when we say, well, that was Paul's opinion on virgins. So does that mean we shouldn't listen to it? Wow. That's a big question, ain't it? Because if you're telling me we're not supposed to listen to Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 25 until the end of the chapter, then we got a big problem. Why is it in my Bible? Because all scripture is given by inspiration of God and useful in teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So why is it in there? Because it's God's word. And we all affirm that. Now, that being said, this issue about women as pastors. Now, women can be missionaries. Women can teach. Women can, uh, for all intents and purposes, there's no reason women couldn't preach the gospel because they did. But in the matter of women pastoring a church, Paul is very clear. In, in 1 Corinthians 14, and in, in 1 Timothy uh, 3, in 1 Timothy 2, in, in Titus chapter 1, Paul is very clear. And it's not his opinion. It is the commandment of God, not his opinion. Now, what, all, what other kind of things do we do this with? Let's talk about this. Let's talk about the fact that Jesus says something very interesting in Luke chapter 10. If you turn to Luke chapter 10, verse 16, I'm going to show you a verse that maybe you missed, maybe you didn't. Uh, we'll do verse 15 also. And thou, Capernaum, which art exalted to heaven, shalt be thrust down to hell. And he that heareth you heareth me, and he that despiseth me, he that despiseth me despiseth him that sent me. And the 72 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject to us. So when he sent them out, the 72, when he sent the 72 out, what he told them was, if anyone doesn't receive you, they're not receiving me. If they don't receive me, they don't receive him who sent me. So I'm telling you emphatically, if you think that 1 Corinthians 7.25 doesn't apply to us, and you think that you can reject it, you're not rejecting Paul, you're rejecting Christ who gave it to him. And if you're rejecting Christ, you're rejecting his father. Luke 10 verse 16. He that heareth you heareth me, and he that despiseth you despiseth me, and he that despiseth me despiseth him that sent me. Period. Peter. Let's look at Peter's view of God's word and how we got God's word. First Peter chapter 1, verse 
16. If you do a quick study of the inerrancy of Scripture and the infallibility of Scripture, you're going to run into these same verses. You'll study these same set of verses. If you look up in the confession what we believe about the Word of God, you will see these same verses listed in there about the Word of God. The Word of God is absolutely God breathed. And if we're going to believe part of it, we got to believe all of it. If we don't believe one part of it, we might as well trash the rest of it. It's not take it and leave it as you want it. Either it is God's command to us as his church or it is not. And we don't believe it. But we do believe that it is God's word. And we believe that it is effectual for us. So 1 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to start at verse 16. He says, <clears throat> because it is written. Did I say 1 Peter? 2 Peter. 2 Peter. Sorry. 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. Verse 16. Okay, here we go. For we have not followed the cunning devised fable we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ but we were eyewitnesses to his majesty for he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased and this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him on the holy mountain, we have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto the light that uh, shineth into the dark place, until the day dawns and the day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. I wrote a note here. God doesn't care what you personally think about his word, this verse. He cares about what he said and how he meant it, okay? So your private interpretation of what you think the Bible says doesn't mean anything. What did he mean? What does it say? That's what matters. No prophecy is given uh, no, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation for the prophecy came not in old times by the will of man but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost and that's what was going on with Paul and that's what was going on with Peter and that's what's going on with John and James and Mark and Luke all of these men of God just like the old, the, the prophets of old were moved along by the Spirit of God as they wrote the scriptures. So when it says all scripture is given by the inspiration or breathed out by God, it literally means as Luke was putting pen to paper, the breath of God was moving from that pen to paper. And it is the word of God. And we cannot ever say, I don't need to do that. Ever, ever, ever. Your private interpretation does not matter. What has the church believed this is taught? What has the church taught for thousands of years? 
It's interesting that we're even having this conversation. And it's not just this issue, okay? Now, I picked this one issue, but let's talk about biblical marriage. That's even under scrutiny now, you know? We don't have to have, you got churches out there now going, no, it's okay, you know, God is love and God is this. And, and they only take the parts of the Bible that they want and they ignore the rest. They do it with biblical marriage. They do it with biblical sexuality. Biblical marriage is between one man and one woman. Biblical sexuality is between one man and one woman. That's biblical marriage and biblical sexuality. And in the Bible, those, those two things are not separate. You never have biblical sexuality without biblical marriage. Otherwise, it's called what? Fornication. <clears throat> we also are doing this more and more with biblical roles even in the home. Understand? You, you, you'll get pastors today that will read 1 Corinthians where it says the man is the head of the wife. Ephesians says the man is the head of the wife. Peter says the man is the head of the wife. Oh, we don't believe that the man is the head of the wife. Well, what makes you think that's not true? Well, you know, the Greek here, you could, it could mean this, and it could mean that. And it, well, it, well, how come no other Bible interprets it that way? Do you know what? Every single Bible that you can go buy on a shelf right now, you can buy King James and say, man's head of the wife. You can buy uh, 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 a new King James, it'll say, man's head of the wife. You can buy an NIV, it'll say, man's head of the wife. You can buy an ESV, and it'll say, man's the head of the wife. You can buy an NLT, and it'll still say the man's the head of the wife. See, the problem isn't the translation is wrong. The problem is they don't want to believe what's written. That's the problem. If that didn't mean that, then why don't they change it? Why has nobody in the history of Bible making changed it? Because they can't. Because that's what it says and that's what it means. Let's talk about church discipline. How people act like that doesn't exist. Oh, that ain't in the Bible. They act as if Jesus never said, if your brother sins against you, go to him. And if he doesn't listen, take two witnesses with you. And if he doesn't listen to them, take them to the church. They act like that doesn't happen. They act as if Paul didn't excommunicate people and tell people to mark those who are teaching this heresy and mark people that are teaching that heresy. Avoid those Judaizers, right? Whole book of Galatians was he wrote the Galatians and told them, oh, you foolish Galatians, why are you now saved by grace and think you have to go back under the bondage of the law because these Judaizers have come in and lied to you. What about godly living and Christian duty? Because we have a whole movement of people who want to talk about health, wealth, and prosperity, but they will not preach that we owe any duty to God, as if God saves us and just doesn't expect us to live holy lives. The problem with that 
is that you would have to take much of the New Testament out of the Bible because nearly every single epistle deals with holy living. Nearly every single one of them. Matter of fact, I don't know that I can think of one that doesn't. That's reality. But we, we, we hear him say that, that, uh, that, uh, we are to mortify the deeds of the flesh. We hear him say that we're to crucify the old man. We hear him to say, put off the old man. Put on the new mind of Christ. Put on this mind that was in Christ. Amen. Uh, to put off your former way of living and to live as dead people before God. We hear all of that and we ignore it. Why? It comes down to this verse in 2 Timothy 3.16. And 17, we don't believe that God's word is theonutos, breathed out by God, and that every bit of it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Now, why do I bring this up? There's another one we don't, we don't talk about, biblical parenting. How parents have an obligation to raise their children in fear and the admonition of the Lord. I, I, I was talking with a parent just two weeks ago who said, well, I just don't want to, uh, you know, I don't want to influence my kids one way or another. I'm thought, well, the world is already influencing your kid. If no one's going to influence your kids to, the, to, to godly ways, if you're not going to do it, trust me, nobody's going to do it. The reality is you have a mandate from God in Scripture to train up your children in the way that they should go. That's your job. Period. End of story. You you better indoctrinate your children with God's word, or the world's gonna indoctrinate them with the way the ways of the world. And trust me, we don't need that. And the church has capitulated to that. That's why we that's why we 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 buy all these uh, worldly self-help ideas and we even that that whole philosophy of oh I don't want to tell my children what to do they don't have a problem telling your children what to do they don't have a problem telling your children what to believe they don't have to tell have a problem telling your children to do everything the exact opposite way that God's word says we should have the courage to stand on God's word. It is God breathed. It is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training us in righteousness. Righteousness does not happen by osmosis. It happens by learned behavior. Now we have a righteousness from Christ that is ours. The righteousness that's being talked about there is sanctification unto righteousness. Righteous living. Amen. That's what we need to understand. This idea that that God's word somehow I can pick and choose the things that I want to believe and the things that I don't want to believe is absolutely foreign before the 1800s. Absolutely foreign. Amen. You didn't get to just say, well, that ain't what it says. Because the whole religious society would have said, no, this is what the church has believed. 
And you're walking in grave error by saying that that's not what God says. And there's a reason that this admonition that I'm giving is so stringent tonight. And I'm going to close with this. The Bible says, woe unto them who call evil good and good evil. Woe unto them who put darkness for light and light for darkness. Peter told those, uh, the, those people in the dispersion, he said, you need to heed our words like you're heeding the light that's shining in the darkness. Take heed to our word. Why? Because it's been inspired by God, just like those holy men of old who were moved by the Holy Ghost to give that inspiration. That's why when we read Acts 2, where it says they, they, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Well, what did the apostles teach? Because what, what, what I heard today thoroughly convinced me that the person that was talking about this absolutely didn't know what the Bible said about it. Okay? They read the verses, but they didn't, they didn't understand them. And it's right there, plain English. Right now, our country, the world, is being driven to darkness because churches won't even stand up for what God's Word actually teaches. We won't stand up and say, no, there is a, such a thing as men and women. No, there is such a thing as boys and girls. No, this thing called homosexuality is one of the only sins in all of the Bible that God calls an abomination. This sin is one of the only sins in the Bible that God destroyed whole cities over. Think about any other time where God destroyed whole cities, okay? You know the only other time that God destroyed whole cities? One time there was idolatry going on in the land and God sent an angel and he killed over 157,000 people in one night. God puts homosexuality in the same category as idolatry and they're both called abominations the reality of us not believing God's word as a Christian community has got to change we must start seeing God's word for what 2 Timothy 3.16 says it is all God's word and we must heed to it amen let's pray father god we thank you for your word lord we thank you that your word is living and active that it's sharper than any double-edged sword able to divide the soul and the spirit the bone and the marrow and the thoughts and the intent of our heart god lord that your word is useful for teaching rebuking correcting and training in righteousness that we might be fully furnished unto every good work. God, I pray that 
not just for this church, God, but for every church that names the name of Jesus Christ, God, that you would give them boldness to preach your word without fear, without reservation. Lord, that they would preach the entire counsel of God and not be ashamed of what God's word teaches. That they would stand for the truth of your word and stand in the midst of even persecution that could come from preaching your word. God, I pray that you would help us be a church that's not afraid to preach your word. Lord, I pray that you would help us as we go out to the community and we know that all these things the Bible teaches, the Bible also teaches us to love our enemies, to, to be kind and, and, and to do good to even those who hate us. So God, as we go out, let our conversation be mixed with grace. Let it be seasoned with mercy. Let us present Christ and him crucified to a lost and dying world because you love them and you gave yourself for them. God, we pray that you would help us to proclaim the gospel in a loving, compassionate, Christ-honoring way, but that we would never, ever substitute the truth of your word for lies, that we would never capitulate to this world or give in to the demands of this world, that we not speak on certain things. Help us to stand firm in this. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.